Welcome to Beyond Borders, the world's first talk show made especially for English learners and global citizens with me, your host, Ethan. In every episode of this show, it is my job to guide you outside of the classroom and into the real world with life-changing insights from some of the world's best teachers, language learners, innovators, and leaders, all here to help you unleash your highest potential in your English and your life. So if you are ready to join our movement of millions and together create a world beyond borders, then let's get started with the show. Hello, boys and girls. So my guest today, in case you have not heard of him, is Justin Murray. So Justin is the co-founder and CEO of Real Life English. He's originally from the Seattle area in Washington state in the USA, but he has been living in Brazil for more than 10 years. Justin and his business partners, including yours truly, started Real Life English as a series of face-to-face events to give their students the opportunity to practice speaking English through real-life conversations. The business grew into a global community with two very successful YouTube channels, a podcast, and a recently launched app designed to help learners like you to live your English. Justin believes that every learner is on a journey to become the best version of themselves, and English is a powerful tool to achieve that. He dreams and works hard towards creating a world beyond borders, in which global citizens connect through a common language. Justin is my co-founder and a friend of mine, so we had a pretty fascinating conversation, if I do say so myself. Justin recommends a couple of mind-blowing books that can change your life. Meditation and journaling are two crucial and fundamental daily habits of his. So we talked about why they are powerful and how you can get started if you're curious. Justin shared what running competitively in high school and college taught him about life and leadership, and how his parents taught him the value of short-term pain for long-term gain. We discussed how Real Life English got started with events. If you are a teacher or a learner that might like to start an English-speaking group in your city, you can get some helpful advice here. Justin also shared some tips and resources that can help you if you have ever wanted to give up, be it on learning English or any other project or endeavor. And we played a fun new game that will get you laughing. That and so much more coming up on episode 11 of Beyond Borders. Justin, welcome to the show. Oh yeah, what is up, Ethan? I've been really looking forward to this. I have as well. Uh, It's definitely pretty monumental having you on here. I know you pretty well already, as most listeners probably know, as we're co-founders of Real Life English, but I feel like I could even learn some new things about you, so I'm pretty excited about that. I'm excited to be on the show, actually, so to be in the driver's seat here, so great to be here. In the hot seat, yeah. In the hot seat, yeah. So... My first question for you, uh, a lot of people who know you well know that you're a really avid reader. So I was wondering, are there any books that you have most recommended to your students when you were teaching or maybe to learners in our community? Oh, man, like <laughs> that's a really big question. You know, I, I think to recommend a book, it really depends on, on each person's journey where they're at. Right. Because sometimes like you can pick up a book and it hits the spot. It's perfect right in that moment and it can change your life. But 10 years later, you read it and it's like, ah, oh, you know, I don't need that. So um, I'll take take over the grain of salt a little bit. But something that we've talked about a lot and I actually have it right here. So Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. This has been a, a life changer for me. I have it uh, all marked up. You can tell that books had some wear and tear. <laughs> yeah, I've read it several times, but um, it's been pretty integral in, in real life English as well. And we've read it together a couple of times and it's an incredible book for me. That book really uh, forced me to kind of step back and look at my life from a higher perspective, um, who I am, what I want to do with things. And actually, the second habit of seven habits of highly effective people is to think, to begin with the end in mind. So that was really important for me to really start dedicating a daily, a weekly chunk of time to like thinking about that, reflecting, clarifying that, and um, integrating it into my life. Another book probably just really quickly, uh, Ken Wilber's A Brief History of Everything. This is another book that I know you've read, that we read in the early days. Um, this is 
an incredible book, a philosophical book, talks about uh, psychology of human beings, individuals, society. So he has this integral philosophy and he integrates all these different branches of science into one theory. So everything fits together. And uh, one of the main things is he talks about how society is developed through societies and individuals developed through stages of consciousness, right? And so you can look at your own life, think back to when you were a kid, as you go through different phases, you evolve and you grow and you kind of flourish into new levels phase by phase and just like society and, and um, societies, it's kind of the same thing. Like uh, as societies adapt to technology and they ultimately transform over time, stage by stage. And you can see this all around the world. A lot of the conflicts that are happening um, based upon these kind of like clashing worldviews, right? And it's interesting to look at it from that perspective because you can see like, well, not everybody's completely wrong, right? Not everybody's completely right. You're always kind of transcending and including uh, each phase of reality into the next. So um, there's this constant evolution process. And this is something that I think uh, we can all really have more compassion towards the, the people that we meet and their uh, their worldview. So um, it's a really powerful book that I think anybody can can get a lot of benefit from. I think that's a, an appropriate book too for this current moment in time because it seems like right now we're we're going through this as a humanity. The entire world is kind of in this really transformative stage right now with all of the technology that's, that's currently existing, that's coming about. And obviously anyone listening can just think about 10 years ago, you know, you probably didn't have a smartphone yet. And now it's something that you almost can't live without. Most of us almost can't live without. And uh, I think there's new things coming like this. Uh, I'm, I'm listening to the audiobook right now of a book called Homo Deus from Noah Yuval Harari. I think that's how it said. And people might've heard the book Sapiens by him. And this is kind of talking, I mean, it's, it's not so much philosophy, but it is kind of talking about, you know, what could be coming in the next five, 10, 50 years. And when you think about it, it's, it's exciting. It's a little bit scary, obviously, but I think that uh, also Ken Wilber is kind of an interesting person to get to know with all these changes that can be coming. Because I think you know, philosophy can be really valuable to have in your back pocket to be able to deal with some of those changes. And obviously too, Seven Habits, one of the, the big parts you were talking about, the first section of the book is about becoming independent because you can't be successful being interdependent, working with other people, synergizing with other people until you've become truly independent. And I think that that's also, that could maybe be a better one to start with if you haven't read that before you get into too many really deep dives of philosophy, but that's a, that's a really fantastic one. And, and you mentioned too, um, that reading that book and the second habit, starting with the end in mind, that that caused you to start having a reflection practice. So, um, I believe you're probably referring to a journaling practice there as well attached to that. So why do you journal? Why, why do you find this valuable beyond what you were already saying about the, the reflection? Oh, there's so many reasons for that, but you know, just connecting to the book, you know, there's an exercise in the book that um, really challenges you to write a mission for your life, to think really mm -hmm. deeply about what you want to accomplish and even like imagine yourself at the end of your life, the, all the people, your friends, your family, your workmates, your, um, the people from your spiritual community, what are they going to say at your funeral? And to think like, really, where are you going? And so that really puts things into perspective to write a mission, a clear mission to really refine it and and then keep coming back to that. And so that's one thing you can do when you're journaling. You can refine that mission. You can come back to it. Another thing they talk about in that book as well is like breaking your life into dimensions, right? So mm -hmm. you think about um, your body, your mind, your spirit, your social life. And so this is something I do. So I kind of like have each dimension, kind of like my spiritual practice, meditation. Um, from there, it's like my exercise, right? So it's like my health and vitality. And there's work as well. So it's like my craft and calling. In each of those areas, I kind of clarify uh, what I want for my life. And of course, there's the social aspect of everything. And then there's the learning aspect of everything, right? So it's like you constantly need to be learning, to be curious, to be developing, to... Uh, and this is where kind of reading books comes in. But apart from that, like journaling is like really useful because, uh, I mean, first of all, it's like you can... There's so much you can do in there. And it's like each, each page of your journal is a canvas. So you can... Uh, do gratitude practice. Like just sit down and think about, hmm, what am I grateful for in my life? 
what mm-hmm. um, the hot water, for example, having heat, having food to eat, somebody opening the door for you, talking to a friend, your family. Air conditioning, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Being grateful for this moment, right? Just being able to speak with you, being, being grateful for our friendship, being grateful for all the people mm-hmm. that contribute to this project of Real Life English, our, our, our global community, right? The people that we work with. It's just so much to be grateful for. And if you sit down and make a practice out of actually just writing it down, even just a couple minutes a day, uh, it's actually scientifically proven that it's going to drastically change your, your general feeling of well-being in life. It's kind of like I've, I've read that, see, we're, we're evolved for to feel fear, to look out for danger, mm. right? To constantly be kind of pessimistic. But gratitude kind of trains your brain to, to be like Velcro for the positive things. Because normally we're like Velcro for the negative things, right? We have a built-in negativity, but we can train our brain to be positive about things and to kind of deflect the negativity. Yeah. Most of our default program tends to be to complain about things when things aren't going exactly how we want them to go. When we feel something is unfair, a lot of us will default to complaining or to feeling victimized. And I think when you start practicing gratitude, it really helps you to flip that uh, around so that instead of complaining, maybe if you you start complaining about something and you catch yourself, you can turn that into, well, what am I grateful for in this situation or this moment or whatever the case is. And if you can, I, I think having the concrete practice of doing it every single day, like writing it in your journal or just taking a few minutes to reflect on it at the same time every day, that can be really good to, to build the habit. But then you can start to branch that out and to try to Think of it in other moments of your life. If you if you find yourself complaining or you find that you feel something is unfair or whatever the case is. Even before a meal, like you can stop, close mm. your eyes and just like, just connect to yourself, connect to the moment, connect to the food, the smells, the, the presence of the people that are, that are around you. I think it's it's very powerful if you can make that a practice. It's, it's mindfulness in some sense, right? Yeah, it is like a lot of people maybe already have the habit of praying or saying grace before they eat. And that's, I suppose it's sort of similar, but it's kind of like, even if you're not religious, if you don't consider yourself religious or, or you do, that can be like a good thing to, to get in the habit of doing before you eat and just being grateful that there's food on the table. Mm-hmm. And, and thinking, uh, the way I've heard it explained too, is that you can think about all the things on your plate, like where did they come from in a globalized world, thinking about Let's say that you have some beans and these beans came from Brazil and you have some spinach and the spinach came from France and you have some, whatever the case is, and it came from another place. And it tends to be the case that you'll have like a plate that's just full of all this hard work that happened on the other side of the world. So it can be really interesting to explore that a little bit and and see how blessed we are because it hasn't been that long that it's been so easy to acquire things from other places. And we should practice not taking that for granted when we can. Absolutely. I think something that relates a lot to this topic that we're talking about as well, you mentioned meditation. And we actually asked the Fluency Circle, some members of the Fluency Circle, which the Fluency Circle is our global community of students of our courses. And so we asked them if they had any questions for Justin, and we got a few of them. So one of the ones that I'm going to ask you comes from Daisy from France. And she says, that she wants to know why you practice meditation, when you decided to practice it, and does it really change your daily life? So I started meditation when I was about 25. But I started thinking about it and kind of identifying with it because I said, kind of part of my identity was like, oh, I want to start practicing meditation. I talked about it a lot. (laughs) (laughs) But I didn't actually start doing it um, until I was about 25. And I just sat down and I I read uh, an article on it and I just tried it out. And I had some pretty interesting experiences to start off with. I was fortunate, beginner's luck, I don't know, but but kind of like, it doesn't always happen that way because sometimes like your monkey mind gets in the way and it can be hard to have those deep experiences. But I was fortunate to have a kind of a deeper experience in one of my first sessions and that sort of showed me something was there. But then beyond that, I was really making an effort to get back to that experience and I had a hard time doing that because <laughs> when, you, when you try hard to, to you know, uh, have those great experiences, they tend not to come. There's a really great phrase from Nisargadatta, the great Indian mystic, that is basically uh, the very act of perceiving, it shows that what you perceive is not real, is not who you are, basically. Not, not, not real, but not who you are. So basically, like, for example, when you meditate and you see your thoughts, we oftentimes get confused and caught in those thoughts. We get caught in the story of who we are. In any given moment, it might be like a a conflict with somebody, or just something that, that you get emotional about. It might be like standing in line at a store or being in traffic. 
I think those are the moments that I first started to see like a difference because I was able to see kind of like the thought being born of the emotion and to recognize that and see like I actually had a choice. I can step between stimulus and response. And what, this is what meditation does. The court of, it sort of um, gives you the practice of stepping back and identifying with the witness, with the consciousness that's in the backdrop of your life experience. It's kind of like the projector of the movie. We get caught in the movie and we forget that we're in the backdrop. We're the projector. And that's very liberating to be able to do that because it gives you freedom in a lot of your relationships. You don't get lost in your stories. Um, you can step back and pivot, step between stimulus and response. Yeah, it's like what we were saying before about catching yourself when you complain and, and seeing what you can be grateful for in that moment. And that's a lot easier to do, I think, if you meditate because you're, you have the formal practice of sitting down and, and meditating. And then you have the sort of informal practice of actually trying to do that in your own life. So like you were saying, in traffic, that can be a really great moment because most of us will get really angry in traffic. And there's also other things that you can do, you know, put on a podcast or music, like a great song that you love or something, and you can find something else to enjoy in that moment or to, to help you. Or you can just meditate even if you have already learned how to do that. And you, dear listener, right now, you can actually just think of the sensation in your finger, the sensation in your elbow, in your knee. We're often not aware of it, right? It's just there. We're kind of lost in the story of our lives. So you can look at the thought. You can look at the thought that's occurring in your mind right now. You can say the word. Like, listen, right now, that's a word that appears in your mind, right? So stepping back, looking at it, you can recognize. It's really, going back to that phrase, that quote, um, the very act of, of perceiving shows that you are, not the, you, you are not what you perceive. So you aren't your emotions. You aren't your thoughts. Your body's sensations is external to you. So mm -hmm. interestingly, I just wanted to kind of bring up, Ethan, about this. Like, um, we've done some meditation retreats, right? We've, we both did the same retreat. Um, right. The Vipassana meditation retreat, right? This is something that has has been quite transformative in my life. Let me just ask you, throw that question back at you. So, so talk a little bit about that. What is that? Yeah, it's been a while. I actually would love to go back to another one because it is really impactful. It's very intense too. And it, it I think a lot of people can benefit from it because you're going 10 days on a retreat where basically you, you can't speak. Um, you're not supposed to do anything really distracting like you're not supposed to read, you're not supposed to write, you're not supposed to, you know, do exercise or run or anything like that. You're just supposed to be uh, meditating 10 hours of the day and the rest of the time is kind of contemplative time that you might be walking around. And it's an experience that's very intense, intense highs, intense lows, because, you know, if you're in your head all day, you can't talk to anyone. Obviously you're going to, you might go to dark places in your mind or you might just be bored out of your mind. But on the other side of that, there's, euphoric experiences. Like I remember just walking out, I think it was like a few days in and walking out of like one of the meditation sessions later in the day and just feeling like, you know, seeing the stars in the sky and like looking at a flower and things like this and just having like this intense connection to, to that current moment and everything and to the simplicities. So coming out of that too, I think what I noticed and it, it doesn't maybe last so long if you don't really keep up the, the practice, but uh, I noticed that I was much less reactive, which was one of the, the primary benefits that I noticed from it. So some things that would happen where I'd normally, uh, I would have that victim mentality or I'd get angry or, um, you know, I, I would just get stressed out. And I noticed that I could, was able just in those situations to very easily step back and kind of observe it from the outside without letting that emotion take hold of me so strong. So, and there's many other benefits to it. I mean, if I think too, if for a lot of people, if you need maybe uh, some sort of transformative experience, it can be something to explore a Vipassana retreat. And the great thing is that they have centers all over the world. So if you have any near big city near you, it could be likely that they'll have some sort of retreat happening there on a semi-regular basis. And it's by donation too, right? They don't right, charge you. Yeah. I mean, you give what you give what you can give, and that could be your service as well. You can go back and volunteer. And, and it's actually the people... The people feeding you, the people cooking for you, they're volunteers. They're all people who have benefited mm -hmm. and are going back and giving back. And they're, they're using that as part of their practice, too. Yeah. So they're, they're there with the same, more or less the same uh, restrictions that they're not supposed to talk more than they need to. And they do quite a few hours of meditation in the day. So 
that's definitely a rich experience that I, I recommend people check out. Uh, one of the things I wanted to ask you about just going back, cause you said that you talked about doing it for a long time before you actually started. So do you remember, was there something that happened that actually like sparked for you that to get started that pushed you over the edge? I was, I was reading a lot in that time period and just learning and developing and developing new worldviews and, and meditation just kept coming up over and over again. And this seemed to be something that, uh, I really wanted to try the people that I met that I really admired, they were doing it. They, they talked about the benefits and when I ended up trying it, it, it worked out really well. And as I said, I had that experience. And one other thing, kind of going back to Ken Wilber, we talked about earlier, he's a, he's a transpersonal psychologist and he basically takes, he studies like uh, Western psychology and all those stages of development that are all documented and mapped in, in Western psychology. And he kind of merges that together with Eastern psychology, which is the transcendental stages because Western psychology really kind of like leaves off at the getting up to this rational, um, worldview that, that we all are accustomed to, but they don't really go into the mystic, right? And and the mystic, in fact, they deny it. The West kind of denies these transpersonal stages of, of um, psychological development. And meditation kind of greases the wheels. So we start meditating. When you step back and you can see your world, your emotions, your your um, the things that, that you used to be merged with in your mind, when you see that from another perspective from the back, then this kind of greases the wheels and it accelerates your development and you keep accelerating through life where you normally get stagnant because most adults don't really continue developing uh, vertically in the transpersonal stages of, of psychology, but meditation really facilitates that. Yeah. Has all sorts of benefits. So maybe Daisy or, or other listeners who may their minds been blown a little bit and they're, they're wanting to try it out. How would you recommend that they get started meditating? Um, I would say like there are lots of really great apps to experiment with. There's the waking up app that you and I both use by Sam Harris. Mm -hmm. Um, there is headspace, there's calm, right? These guided meditations are perfectly suited to just to actually help you cultivate that habit. And the hardest part is the habit, right? I would say a lot of people really get are hard on themselves. They think that they need to stop their thinking that they need to have some transcendental experience, but really just showing up, sitting down, even for a minute, right? Just starting the habit, doing it every day, getting that streak going. And that's really going to be <laughs> helpful to building the practice. And, and over the, the, the days and weeks and months and years, you're going to see the development. You're going to, it'll start unfolding and you'll learn to, to quiet your mind. You'll learn to go deeper. Although even advanced meditators that aren't able to always quiet their mind. I think it's, it's, it's a, a process and it's definitely something that you just need to get started on the journey. <laughs> yeah. Like anything, you can have good days and bad days. So you mentioned that this was happening when you were around 25 years old. I believe at that point you were living in Colorado and people might not know this unless they've been listening to our podcast and whatnot, following us for a very long time. But you and I went to the same university, but it was something like we graduated like 10 years apart or eight years apart or something like that. So we actually met in Brazil, not in Boulder, Colorado, where we went to university, but you moved there originally to be a competitive runner. So I'm curious, are there any lessons that you've learned from that period of your life or any ways that you think it has shaped you until today? Absolutely. Uh, I mean, I started running, like really becoming passionate about running when I was like 14 or 15 years old. And I just threw myself into it. Similarly to, to real life English, similarly to you know, my, my travels as well when I was doing that, it became a really big part of who I was. And I dedicated myself um, just relentlessly. I, I trained, I read books, and it, you know, it, 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 ultimately I ended up, you know, stopping and I, and I realized how big a part of my identity really was. And it, it kind of freed me to go explore other things, right? And that was a huge blessing. But uh, up until that point, it was it was just so transformative in, in the sense it taught me uh, just grit, really being able to dig deep, work hard, go through failure, um, work with other people, uh, find mentors. I had great mentors. I had great coaches. And and my brother was a runner too. He was a really good runner and he was a, an important mentor. He still is. Uh, but I had coaches who were really great leaders as well. And looking back at my, my leadership style and like everything that, that you and I are doing here at Real Life English, so much of what I learned goes back to those coaches really um, injecting the entire experience with a vision 
a transcendental vision that really goes beyond just running. It was about running was a vehicle to become a better person. Running was a vehicle for us to share that experience um, of going for championships, of you know going for a PR or best time, training together in the summer, right? Of me going to you know people's house at five in the morning to like wake them up and take them to practice so we can train, you know, run twice a day and all of that stuff. And then you know, everything involved, but it was like, we had really great coaches who, who injected important principles, the same principles taught in seven habits, of highly effective people and other great books like that. Um, but through the process of, of running, those principles were taught, lived, experienced, and it became an amazing adventure. That's incredible. And I want to come back to that, uh, for sure, just that persistence that you were talking about, but one of the things that I think is is interesting that you talk about sometimes that you've, you've talked to me about is that during that period, you were really meticulous with your running, I believe. You kept a, a log and everything, and you, I believe you've told me even that you could see just based on that data when you were about to get sick. So I was just curious if there's any way that you think that practice could be applied to learning a language. So for example, for English learners, is there a way they can be more meticulous with the data of their learning to to see patterns and to to cultivate improvements? Yeah, definitely. I think it goes back to like you and I teaching. You know, we we, we had our, our students do their their you know their learning logs. Like, what are you doing every day? Just document it. Like, how much you are you doing each activity? How much are you listening? How much are you speaking? How much are you writing? What are you doing every day? Right. Just that's really important for motivation, first of all. I mean, it just makes you do it. This is part of your process. It makes you reflective, right? Setting goals is kind of the same thing. You set you, you set those goals. You plan ahead. You, you, you make sure it fits into your life. But I would say there is that angle, too, like being data-driven in your learning. Like, how much are you listening? And how does this reflect and improve listening ability? How much are you speaking? How does this reflect in your ability to speak better, more clearly, more confidently? Because ultimately, you need to do it every day. We know that. Right. Like anything that you want to be at your best at rather than just an amateur. Right. I mean, you want to turn pro. Right. You want to you want to make it a part of who you are. You need to do it every day. And um, it doesn't need to be like speaking every day. That can be hard to find that opportunity unless you download the real life app and <laughs> go and press that button and connect with partners from all around the world. Right. But, uh, yeah, that's actually keeping it simple. Having a four minute conversation, you know, having a, a four minute conversation that's once per day really simple write it down in your in your in your log but but yeah going back to just the main idea is is making sure that you're cultivating like a nice mixture of activities listening to podcasts uh watching tv series talking with people you can write it down uh it's kind of like going back as well to when you can finish a a day and like check it off like i remember as a runner um i used to have like eight years of running logs, like every single day document, just a stack of like just descriptions of everything I'm doing. And I remember I, I had like a 99 mile week, right? And mm -hmm. it was the middle of winter and it was at night, but I wanted to hit a hundred miles. It was like, I just mm -hmm. wanted to check that hundred, check that hundred mile box. Right. And so at 10 o'clock at night, I went for my third run of the day and I just went out and I ran a mile <laughs> in order to get back and, you know, say one mile, a hundred miles. And kind of in the same sense, if if you miss a day that you plan to do and you don't get to check that off, you feel bad. So there's definitely something demotivating to, you know, to, to, to not do what you said you were going to do. And I think a journal is a good way to a journal or a log is a good way to um, to help you accomplish that. Yeah, I like that. It's kind of like a psychological trick for yourself in a sense that if you you start tracking it and you can kind of like uh, I know I've heard a lot of. Jerry Seinfeld, a very famous comedian in the United States, it's been attributed to him that he used to write a joke every single day and he would check that off on the calendar. And so he would never miss a day because he didn't want to see a day that wasn't checked off on the calendar. And that I think in the same way can be a very good psychological trick. And the other thing I wanted to point out there, I think the other benefit, if you're keeping track of these things, of your progress, I think can be very motivating in the sense that say you record yourself speaking every single day, then you could go back in a month and like listen to yourself a month ago, or you go back in six months and listen to yourself six months ago, and you'll just see the progress that you've made. So in the day-to-day, -day, you might feel like you're not getting anywhere or it's just very slow, but over time, you just start doing those 1% improvements every day, right? And over time, that ends up just being like a, 
you know, you've climbed a mountain or something like that. You've just are so much better than you could have imagined. But if you're not keeping track of that, maybe you'll kind of miss out on that progress. You won't, you won't actually appreciate how far you've come. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like looking in the mirror. You can't see yourself age, right? But you might have a yeah. nephew, for example, <laughs> you don't see for a few months and, and then you see him and it's like, wow. He's changed. He's a completely different person, you know, because they, 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 they grow so fast. Right. And kind of the same thing when you're when you're learning a lot, you kind of you, you're too myopic. You're too close to your own self and you're learning. You can't see mm-hmm. your own improvement. Right. Unless you kind of step back and see those snapshots. Right. Most definitely. Hey there, real lifer. Have you downloaded the real life English app yet? On the app, Andrea and I will guide you beyond the classroom to live, learn, and even speak English in the real world. So how do we do this? To start with, you can listen to the Real Life English podcast and Beyond Borders talk show, even this very episode with digital transcripts so that you can follow along and develop your listening fluency. Plus, check dozens of definitions of all the most difficult vocabulary, idioms, phrasal verbs, slang, and so much more that you won't find anywhere else or in any other podcast. And how would you like to develop real-life speaking confidence at the touch of a button by speaking with other learners while making friends across cultures? Sounds like a dream, right? Well, now with the Real Life app, it will be a dream come true. Download the app to listen to our podcast with transcripts and definitions whenever and wherever you want and speak with people from all around the world. What are you waiting for? Join our global community today by clicking the link in the description of this podcast or by going to www.reallifeglobal.com app. That's A-P-P. Or simply search for the Real Life English app in the Google Play or Apple App Store today. And let us guide you beyond the classroom to live and learn and speak English in the real world. Ah, yeah. We've talked a little bit about your journey that you went from living in Washington State, you moved to Boulder, you started traveling. After that, you mentioned being in Mexico. Eventually, you made it down to Brazil, where Real Life English started. It started with Chad and you, for people who remember Chad. Uh, from back in the day on the podcast, and it started with events. So I thought we could dig into that just a little bit. Um, why did the event start, and where did that idea come from? Well, I mean, when we started Real Life English, we kind of had a big vision. We were like, okay, we're going to start a school, we're going to start a you know a blog, and we're going to create products online, and we're going to create events. But it's a way to promote that. So, but the easiest thing to do is, or the thing that we were most motivated for, probably I don't know, was the events. And so we didn't really start the school we were kind of we were teaching private students right and the physical school right and a friend of mine helped me create the blog and i created a logo off of i downloaded some logo program and i created a logo and so we printed a banner Um, but we started the events and that was just kind of the impulse behind you know creating we we kind of started the, the vision of real life english the first banner said you know real life english a fresh new vision for english and that was it kind of helping people really implement a lot of the things that that, that um, I think I came across in my own language learning and from, from my perspective on it at least, just helping people like like live what they're learning, right? Helping people, you know, take what they're what the theory, move it to practice, and through practice discover that mastery. Right? To live your English. Go beyond the classroom and live your English. So uh, we organized some events with our friends. And I don't know, it just kind of happened naturally. I think doing it on a regular basis was important. Having a partner, um, like Chad and I were doing it together, having friends that supported us, having a nice space. I think there's some like something to do with marketing too. You have to know kind of like, you know, invite people and, and, and you know, like uh, depends on, of course, the size of the event that you want to do, right? But those are some of the basics. But when we started the event, of course, it's nice to have, you know, you don't need alcohol to have a really great event, but alcohol can, <laughs> of course, like not everybody drinks and everything, but alcohol can 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 really help people be social, uh, and that's a whole other conversation on alcohol. But especially in another language, it helps for people. Maybe, I mean, especially if this was something new, a lot of these people maybe had never spoken English before in a social situation. So, at least for some people, they might have found that useful. Absolutely, and I think being at a bar. 
being relaxed, right? That's that's interesting. You can do it at a cafe too, though. Of course, you can just have two people meet, right? You can have two, three people. But what we wanted to do was actually have like bigger events. And another thing that, that was interesting is that both Chad and I, we were foreigners in the city we were living in, uh, Belo Horizonte, Brazil. And we knew some other foreigners. So who knew other foreigners, right? So there was kind of this network. And so we invited our friends. And from there, like we realized like there were, we had a lot of like foreign connections, like it just it was easy to get foreigners to come because they they were looking for an opportunity to come and meet up and this made sense for them too and so i ended up creating a separate group called the the bh is for bella Horizonte bh gringo network as well <laughs> a facebook group so we created the the real life english group and then the the bh gringo network and that became it grew kind of organically in another direction and that became a important for Inviting foreigners, and I think anytime you can get foreigners to come to an event makes it really exotic and really interesting for I think Brazilians to come or the the you know the the, the local people to come. I think that's so that was really interesting. And anyway, so that event became it kind of even though the project hadn't really like launched fully, right? I think you came on. We were doing the events. We were starting to get in the ideation phase. We were already starting to write some blog articles, right? We were meeting and kind of defining like what. You know, starting with the end in mind, right? Like, what do we want to create? And so at that point, we came together and we were like, we're going to create a blog. And what are we going to do to create that blog? We're going to, each of us is going to write one article per week. And we're going to translate that to Portuguese too. So we ended up having like six articles per week going up on the blog, right? And, and those ideas were coming from uh, our meetings. They were coming from our the, the, uh, the events. They were coming from teaching English to our students, right? Our, our private students as well, or the small groups and everything. And, and so this just became, it gave us this feeling that something bigger, this is something bigger. It wasn't just like giving private classes. It wasn't just an event, right? We were going to do something big. Mm -hmm. I just had this feeling that, that the entire time that this is going to be something really big. And that group that we created on Facebook ended up, beco ended up becoming like the launch pad for the blog. And once we launched the blog, right, then... It just grew. Those people started sharing the articles. Those people read the articles. And the only thing I'll just add is is that you joined us in that, that time. So why don't you tell us about your experience joining us? Well, it was funny because uh, Nia, who, who helps to prepare uh, for these interviews, she found the video, a video of the first event that I went to. And that was kind of a, a trip, you know, going, thinking back about that because uh, it's been now almost 10 years, nine, nine years maybe. And... I think just I had already had experience living abroad and learning other languages and stuff. And I think I really saw just the value of that because I hadn't had that experience in the United States of being able to go to a place and have everyone speaking a language that I, I, I had learned abroad, like a foreign language. And so being able to walk into a bar that's full of Brazilians and obviously some people also from other places, but definitely the 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 majority of people were locals and everyone speaking English, virtually everyone speaking English. That was just, for me, that was an eye opener for sure. Just, and, and I think I just told myself, like, I, I want to be a part of this. I was looking for something at that, that point because I had just finished college and moved to Brazil and wasn't sure what I was going to do beyond just like teaching English. And, and so I was, I, I quickly was compelled towards the, the vision or at least that part of it that I saw that, that people could learn English and speak English and have meaningful experiences through their English, even without necessarily needing to spend all of the money and all of the time traveling to an English speaking country. Yeah, absolutely. It was kind of like a grassroots movement, right? We didn't charge for mm -hmm. events at first. And then later on we did for, and, and we profited for a little bit, but ultimately we ended up um, creating a community of people that organized it. And then we donated the profits there. So, but it was very affordable. Mm -hmm. And one thing that was interesting besides that, and this is important for kind of where we're at now, is is near the beginning, in the first events, we realized that people had a hard time actually kind of, they were shy, right? So you had all these people standing around and we had some like information cards that had a few expressions on there that was like, you know, for a, um, just we gave to everybody that, that entered, but we realized it wasn't really stimulating people to, to go and speak with other people. And so we ended up kind of inventing this game called Human Bingo that's basically like a piece of paper with like, you know, five categories. Find somebody who plays the guitar. Find somebody who is not from the city, for example. Find somebody who uh, has, you know, the same profession as you, for example. And then so we printed these out and we gave them to everybody with a pencil. And then we made an announcement and said, okay, everybody, 
we're going to start the game. For the next half an hour, you need to go and find people who fit these categories. And everybody did it. And it was incredible. It was like, I always say it's like, it's like pouring gasoline on a fire. At the beginning, people come in their groups. Mm -hmm. They're all scared and timid and, you know, just like, you know, any party like this. But then when you do this activity, it's, it's incredible. It just breaks down all the barriers. People meet new friends, people, everybody's together in there, just not caring. I'm just going to speak whatever I can do. I'm going to make mistakes. Maybe I need to speak Portuguese too, but I'm trying. I'm there learning. I'm there supporting what other people are doing. So people are going beyond this whole like judgment, standing back, and which I think is typical. There's you know people stand back and look at each other and like kind of there's judgment going on, and, or people are scared of being judged and everything. But it's so clear after this that nobody cares. Everybody is just supporting each other, mm -hmm. and I think that's the most amazing thing. People walked away from that with this transformational experience. Like oh my gosh, like really living your English. I don't need to be perfect. I can just speak. I can just connect and that's it i'm on my way i may not be perfect now but i'm speaking and like that that's so empowering because then you're going to take the next step and the next step and the next step and then you're speaking english in the real world you're living your english in the real world that's so true and i think a lot of uh teachers that are listening to this maybe they could be motivated to do something like this i think it doesn't necessarily need to be a, a really big event or anything i think even just being able to get a few of your students together in an informal way at a cafe or at a bar or something like that so that they can start to see that English can be fun, that, it, that they can start to have those meaningful experiences uh, using their English to communicate. So do you have any recommendations if a teacher did want to do this with some of their students or whether it's a small, very small thing or something bigger? Yeah, besides what I've just said, of course, you have to pay attention to the marketing. You have to pay attention to the, what's the space like. It's nice to have a partner. It's really important, right? So if nobody shows up, at least you, <laughs> you took in practice, right? <laughs> Um, and you know, you don't, you shouldn't maybe have like such high expectations in that sense. You can invite people, keep it kind of relaxed in that sense. I would say remove the chairs. That's interesting. You don't need to, it's more comfortable to sit down, but if you have chairs, you're, you're obligated to sit next to the same person the entire night. And, and it's kind of like the lottery. Mm -hmm. Is that person going to be something you, somebody you really want to connect with? And even if it is somebody you want to connect with, it's always nice to like move around, connect with different people. And yeah, you can, you can steal the idea of doing the, the human bingo. Right? <laughs> but you might need a lot of people to do that. Otherwise, you can do other games too. Yeah, games are always good. To, and there's so many icebreaker games out there, and that can be a they can be kind of corny. People tend to roll their eyes a little bit sometimes when you first introduce it. But I know at at our events, obviously, and and in other situations where I've been with just a bunch of people I don't know, uh, as someone who's shy and an introvert, at first it's it's a bit awkward. But that tends to be something that later you're really grateful for. And coming back to a topic we were talking about a bit earlier. With Real Life English, I know you personally and both of us together, we've been through a lot of failures. Um, you mentioned like originally it was supposed to be a school and it, that ended up not working out. It went in a different direction. Uh, we've had various launches that we thought would you know, be extremely successful and they really underperformed. Uh, we had our first, second, I believe third, I'm not sure how many attempts at building the app that we finally have launched failed. And... Uh, for people who have been following us for a long time, we mentioned Chad, and it was really hard on us too when when he left the project. Um, and so, and even just like the first five years of of trying to build this company, we didn't make any money personally off of it, or or hardly any. So, despite all this, you've been able to persist where a lot of people, I think, would have given up. So, where do you believe that that tenacity comes from? You mentioned running, but I'm not sure if there's anything. Uh, beyond that, that you think that might have influenced that? Well, I mean, there are a lot of reasons for that, right? I think like one, like you're one reason, definitely like, you know, having somebody who's, you know, there with you, like, you know, fighting tooth and nail in the trenches, right? And I think like having mm -hmm. other good people on our team too, right? Just, you know, you can't discount that. Like, we have other people who have been with us, you know, like, um, like Max, one of our people who helps create the lessons, like, he's been with us for a long time. Like Izzy has been with us for you know, for a long time as well. He's another, uh, somebody, another team member. Uh, we read a book in, in that time period called Grit. And I think that book mm -hmm. kind of summarizes it. Uh, we also read Seven Habits again. We reread Seven Habits, right? But the book Grit kind of talks about, it's, it's the science of passion and perseverance. And, you know, how do you have passion and persevere? And they talk about passion, not as like, follow your bliss or be like, you know, it's not fireworks. It's not waking up every day and believing that, like loving what you're doing, because it's not always 
it's not always fun, right? Sometimes it's di- mm-hmm. it's difficult. It's hard, you know. Just like running, you know, waking up and like you know going for a you know a long run when you're hurting and you don't want to and you failed, your body's sore, right? Kind of the same thing. And like, um, you know, us as entrepreneurs, you know, like we we got funding from we participated in these programs and we basically we got funding to develop you know the first product that we built uh the power chat which is a website that connects people from all around the world and we went through a couple different programs and 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 then we we didn't have any money we had to move like i had to move back home with my parents and basically kind of recuperate and you know go back teaching a bit and really it all comes back to i think grit what they talk about, there are four things that's important. It's like your interest, right? Which is kind of like that passion element being like really, you know, lighting that fire, you know, having that fire, keeping mm-hmm. that lit, keep staying passionate about it. Um, there's a deliberate practice, which is actually, you know, mastering the skills. And I felt like we didn't really give it a, give it a go. We had a lot of things going for us at that time. Right. But we were immature. Like we had too much going on. We were trying to do events, we were trying to do podcasts, we were trying to do the, you know, YouTube videos, trying to do like blog posts, and we were a small team, right? And so it's like, we're trying to do too much. There's so much we were trying to do, and we just had so much to learn. So I would say like, just coming back and having that humility, looking at ourselves, taking responsibility for our own failures, right? And then experimenting, right? I think, um, uh, you know, if something's not working... Plan A doesn't work. Try Plan B. If Plan B doesn't work, try Plan C. Keep going. And if 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 you keep doing if you keep doing the same thing, you get lost in that, and that becomes the path to failure because you're not experimenting, you're not changing. But if you're changing and experimenting, that gives you hope because you start building, you start building mm-hmm. new strategies, you, you start discovering new paths. For example, like in that same time period, there there was reason for hope because we we had started learning with TV series. Right, that channel was just a seed. It was just small. Right, it was growing, but there was a lot of reason for hope there. So um, I don't really know what the answer is because sometimes, you know, it's important. Sometimes people feel like uh, they want to give up and, and maybe that's okay at some points, you know, and there are other points when it's perseverance is the answer, right? So it's really hard to say, um, you know, when the right time to keep going is and when the right time to quit is. But in our case, uh, there was just a lot going well. And, and I felt we really hadn't like learned and grown to, to the point where, where we were really masters of, of our own craft and that we needed to, to really give it an honest chance before we can, we can uh, stop and say, oh, this didn't work out and feel good about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we're always learning. It's not like we've figured it out now and, and we're just laying back and waiting for the, the money to roll in or the success to roll in <laughs> or whatever the case is. It's like always... <laughs> always an uphill battle, but it's one, I think, like you said, it's the, the passion that we've, we've cultivated that passion that we're willing to keep rolling the boulder up the hill in some sense, even when it's, it's difficult or we're willing to, to push. Um, and something else you said there, the, the focus too, at that, in that moment that was like about four and a half years ago or so that we, we stopped doing the podcast for a while. Um, we stopped doing blogging, writing articles and stuff. And we just focused on YouTube. We kind of took a bet on YouTube and I think that was really important. And I think that too, for anything that you want to learn or anything that you want to accomplish, uh, it's really good to experiment and stuff, but it's also really good to dedicate yourself and focus yourself on, on, on something, even if it's, maybe it's not the absolute best thing, but just the fact that you're showing up every day or every week, whatever the case is, and, and you're doing that, you know, you're continuing to do it. Um, like you said, until you, you've become a master of it in some sense. And do you think that there's anything that your parents instilled in you that that gave you a sense of tenacity, or do you think that's come just from your own development? No, definitely. My parents um, they've always invested kind of in the future. I think that's important. You know, I think they they've definitely. I don't know. Like we grew up. I grew up in you know not the nicest house, you know not the nicest car, you know things like that. That externally, it's like my parents maybe you know people. People might judge us, you know, and be like, oh, well, these people, you know, they're poor or something. But my parents at the same time, you know, they didn't care so much about, you know, the, the external image, which I think most people do in some sense. They, you know, they, they were investing in their future. They were, you know, buying a piece of property, investing in, you know, stocks, things like that, and investing in their education as well. Like my mom was, you know, she went back to school when she was like in her 30s um, well, to get a master's degree to become a counselor. Right. And so it's like, 
I think that 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 short term pain for long term gain is something really important. Um, I would say like looking at my dad. My dad, he never really liked his job. He hated it actually. <laughs> his his main job, but he he sacrificed. He endured, and he you know he started a business on the side that was kind of like you know his passion is is plants, and so he has like an online business where he sells plants. You know, and definitely like seeing that kind of influenced me to go more in the entrepreneurial direction um, because. Maybe I'm not really interested in doing something that I'm not passionate about. That's probably it. Oh, that's really interesting. That that's uh, something I hadn't heard before. So, or maybe I have and I've I've forgotten. But that's really interesting. So, uh, before we move on to our game for today, I had mentioned we got some questions from the Fluency Circle. So I thought I'd ask one more of those from Maria from Hungary. You were born and raised in the USA, and now you're currently living in Brazil. You've been in Brazil for a long time. So which cultural lens do you view the world through? <laughs> oh, man, my cultural lens is really mixed up. <laughs> <laughs> I, th- I think this is the thing about, I think, being a global citizen in general is, like, maybe flexibilizing that cultural lens. And, and you know, I, sp- I speak Portuguese with my girlfriend a lot. She speaks English, but, you know, we speak English sometimes. But for the most part, we speak Portuguese. and We need to speak more English. But I think, you know, speaking Portuguese kind of puts me more in the in the Brazilian lens, uh, but you know, being on our team, right? Because we have a, our team beyond borders. We have the real life English as a team of seventeen people, and you know, also speaking with right. the global supporters and, and you know, interacting with with you know our learners from around the world. Then it's it's definitely like always stimulating like different perspectives. So I would say it's a mixture, right? Um, um, it's really hard to uproot completely your, your cultural lens from where you're, where, where you're born. And when you speak that language, especially, right. Or when you're speaking with another, another American, like, like we're speaking right now. Right. And, but, but in general, it's, it's like, I, we speak with a lot of Brazilians, so I can definitely see things from a, a Brazilian point of view, even, even when I'm speaking English, but especially when I'm speaking mm-hmm. Portuguese. And, and then from there, I think it's just that that cultural lens for the world is just curiosity, right? It's just being like coming to other people, just being open Right, just being like listening, being curious, because sometimes I think you feel this too. It's like sometimes you know maybe maybe it's mindfulness, maybe it's like you know not judging people, not just recognizing that that you there's there's a and maybe incorrect intuitions about other people based upon who they are culturally, based upon your cultural lens. So always trying to challenge that. I think then that's where that mixture comes in. I think and that's really what it is to be a global citizen, giving people the benefit of the doubt. Stepping back, being curious, asking questions, listening, learning about people's life, upbringing, and just asking good questions with that. I couldn't agree more. Cultural lens is definitely very mixed up. There's parts of the United States, American culture, I definitely don't agree with or I don't understand so much or I don't I don't align with it maybe in a sense. And there's parts of other cultures that I lived in that I align with much better. Definitely it comes out stronger depending on the language you're speaking and where you're currently living. But um I think that there's benefits to all cultures and there's drawbacks to all cultures. And so I think in some sense, my cultural lens, I've probably tried to acquire, you know, the parts that I like (laughs) of different cultures and uh, while not having to include the things that don't vibe with me. I think there's something kind of like maybe a little bit incorrect in the assumption that, you know, just coming from the United States, there's one cultural lens because think about all the different cultural lenses within the United States. It's like you have lenses of people who are interested in the same things, right? Like the the cultural lens of a language learner, the cultural lens of self-development, the cultural lens of meditation, the cultural lens of like all these other ways that we connect, right? So we're kind of like finding like other lenses that we see eye to eye that really transcends our individual cultural lens. So it's it's incredible. It's kind of like, it's almost like a, um, I don't know, like like a multiverse, kind of like we're stepping into each other's (laughs) perspectives and and connecting in different ways that, that completely challenges this this one view of reality, you know? Yeah. And it's almost like if you practice, so like on, on our app, for example, a really great thing is that you can meet people from a lot of different cultures so you can get that practice in. And in some sense, it's as important to be good at understanding other cultures and maybe not just even just understanding, but being open to things that you don't understand. And in some sense, when you have that experience, be it traveling or just being at that you're proactive to meet people from a lot of different places and have those conversations. It's almost like you have 
different glasses for every different situation. So it's like, you know, you, maybe your, your vision gets a little bit blurry in different situations, but if you're kind of like getting these different glasses, then in any situation, even new one, you can be comfortable because you've kind of built these skills to adapt to that person's way of thinking. Mm-hmm. And you've built your kind of emotional reaction to it too. You've, it's, it's mm-hmm. like just the logical side of it is kind of integrated with your emotional side and, and you're in some sense more mindful, more humble to, to your own upbringing because you realize mm-hmm. it's just, it's just one way of looking at it, right? Yeah. I think a good thought is always like a thought experiment is putting yourself in that person's shoes in a sense that if you had grown up in the same situation as them, you know, the same upbringing, the same culture and everything, then you probably would think the same way as they do. So it's kind of like a, don't be so judgmental because mm-hmm. in some sense, some of us just win the the lottery with the where we're born into, maybe other people aren't quite as fortunate. Um, but I think that comes back to what you're saying, comes back to what we were talking about at the beginning, just about meditation, that that can be a really good practice to help you to step back when you feel that judgmentalism or you feel the emotions kicking in and to be able to look at it from an outside view and ask questions and be curious. So before we get into the game, I might quickly ask you a rapid fire question. Um, so what is something that you find that you're usually really curious about that other people are not curious about? Uh, there are many things, actually. I think a lot <laughs> of it has come up in the in this conversation, but I think in general creativity, I'm really interested in creativity and how to be creative, how ideas are born, right? How ideas kind of like merge together and, you know, make babies, which are newer ideas. And that's ultimately innovation, right? <laughs> so, and how can we cultivate that? And we talked about journaling, you know, that type of thing. So it's like, how can I create my own system where I'm optimally creative, right? So it's almost like creativity often arrives. It's kind of like a whisper. It's an idea. It's an insight. And oftentimes we're not, we're not fully like really welcoming it because we, we, you know, we jump on our phone, we look at our messages, we do something else. We don't recognize it a genius or that, that, that muse when it's speaking to us. So I think creativity in the sense of like just recognizing what it is, so it comes as a whisper, you need to cultivate it. It's just like a little spark and you need to, you need to um, fan it into a flame, right? And so oftentimes that inspiration, you need to write it down, right? And explore it a little bit and then come back to it later. But oftentimes we just ignore it. That goes from creativity into an idea to implementation. It could be in the case of like, um, I don't know, innovation. Like what are we doing with real life English? What are we doing... Um, it's like we have a million ideas that we're constantly talking about, right? And most of them are bad. Well, there's so many bad ideas, right? But the good ideas come out of the bad ones, right? So it's like you need a really good base of bad ideas, ideas in general, for the best ideas to come out of it, right? And even even a lot of the, the bad ideas, you know, of yesterday might be good ideas for tomorrow, too, because it, it ends up becoming, forming this giant network, this giant, giant uh, coral reef of of uh, inspiration and ideas. One thing leads to another, combines, innovates, forms a, a, a new idea, a new creative impulse. So I think um, definitely and there are a lot of good books on creativity, but I think it comes down to silencing your mind, giving, your, giving yourself a space to really explore that canvas, explore the canvas of the things that are on your mind, of, of the problems, things that keep you up at night, right? It's like, what keeps you up at night? And, and, and are you making the space for yourself to explore that in your journal, um, on a piece of paper, on a notepad, on, you know, on an app, to a friend, wherever? Yeah, I like that you said it's a whisper. And I think most of us are so distracted that we don't tend to hear that whisper. Uh, something, an idea that I've, I've heard in the past that I really like is that we've become really intolerant to boredom and Boredom, in a sense, is where that creativity can flourish because when you have nothing to distract yourself with, when you're just, you go for a walk and you don't take your phone with you and you're just, you know, paying attention maybe to, uh, it could be a walking meditation, like you're just paying attention to the sensation in your feet or the wind on your face, or maybe just like listening to the sounds of birds or whatever the case is, or even just like laying on your couch and staring at the ceiling or something like that, just being able to be present for a short time with that boredom, you'll see like your mind starts to just create things and stuff. And, and, and sometimes that can just help you. You'll have like a euphoric moment. You'll, you'll have an, a realization or something. And I think too, when you get into the actual neuroscience 
of how things, when, when we're actively learning, it's kind of like we make neural, um, like new neural connections. And then when you're doing something like where you're basically bored or you're not paying attention and it's kind of still working in the background and it's able to make deeper connections between ideas that maybe don't seem like they're related, but that's really where innovation comes out of. So, uh, another really great book that I think you read as well, that, um, a mind for numbers that gets into the nitty gritty of this. So I recommend that book and we can definitely put that in the show notes along with all the other books we've talked about today, but I've digressed a bit. So we're going to get into today's game. So we're going to play who said it. So the reason that we chose this game is because Justin is a bit of a quotes buff. He really likes quotes. And so basically the way that we play this is Nia is going to come on and she's going to moderate. She's going to tell us a line and she's going to share either like a pop star or a famous philosopher. So we have to guess if that line came from a song from this pop star or from a famous philosopher. So our first one is Jack uh, Kerouac or Kate Perry. And the quote says, maybe you are the reason why all the doors are closed. So you can open one that leads you to the perfect road. Just saying, who do you think said it? (laughs) Maybe it doesn't seem like Jack Kerouac, although I think the wisdom is Kerouacian, but I'm going to say Kate Perry. That's my guess. Right. (laughs) And you, Ethan, what did you say? It rings a bell for me. And I I mean, Justin's a fan of Jack Kerouac. I haven't actually read anything by him, so I think it. It's probably Katy Perry. It's more likely I heard it from her. Yeah, you guys are right. This one is from the song <laughs> Fireworks. Oh, there you go. <laughs> but I, I I wouldn't say that, you know, Katy Perry is that, uh, you know, philosophical. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Ready for the next one? Is this Mark Twain or Elon Musk? <laughs> this one uh, says, when something is important enough... You do it, even if the odds are not in your favor. Well, I would say, I'm going to say Elon, because I know if, if, it, if that's not his quote, I know he says something very similar to that. And it, it's definitely like the embodiment of what he's done. So well, maybe I'll play devil's advocate and go for Mark Twain. That, that sounds a little <laughs> bit like he, something he could have said. It's a bit yeah, poetic. I was, I was surprised to see, you know, like all this um, coming from Elon Musk. Uh-huh. <laughs> but yeah, it is. Just saying, got, <laughs> got it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he said it in, a, in an interview, right? When uh, everyone was, you know, thinking that he wouldn't make it with the next project and that he went on and, and said that. Yay, two points for Justin. <laughs> Next one. Is it Shakespeare or Taylor Swift? <laughs> and the quote says, All the world's a stage and all the men and women merely players. I, I'm pretty sure this is Shakespeare. That, that definitely sounds very familiar from him. Yeah, but, you know, Taylor Swift is very Shakespearean in her music, so... <laughs> I can see her taking inspiration, so I'm going to go with Taylor Swift. Uh, all right. That, that was a good argument, but this one is definitely Shakespeare. <laughs> it's, it's from uh, his work, As You Like It. Uh, but it's actually, I was surprised to see that Rush used it, this exact sentence in one of their songs. Oh, there you go. Plagiarizing the big man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Next one is by Angela Duckworth or Ellen DeGeneres. Without effort, your talent is nothing more than unmet potential. That sounds like something Angela Duckworth would say. She wrote the book Grit. So uh, I know that she's critical of talent, that talent is over overrated. I'm going to go with Duckworth as well. Yeah. <laughs> da, 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 da. Yeah, you guys are right. <laughs> That's exactly, it's a quote from the book Grit. Yeah, so you got it. But I mean, I felt like it's something that Ellen would say as well, especially now that when she left, you know, she stopped doing her show. So <laughs> interesting. Ready for the ne- the last one? So I think it's a tie right now, right? So <laughs> let's see. This one. Is it by J.K. Rowling or Pablo Picasso? The quote says, everything you can imagine is real. Uh 
That could be either of them for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Everything you can imagine is real. I'm going to take a stab at it. It's JK Rowling. Okay. Ethan, what's your guess? That sounds like a lot like it could be uh, from Picasso or like Dali or something like that, that they did very abstract art. So I'll go with Picasso. And the answer is Picasso. <laughs> really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Rowling would have made sense as well because it's like the obviously the magic. Exactly. Yeah. In, in all the universe that she created, uh-huh. right? With Harry Potter. So, yeah. You guys are pretty good for the game. <laughs> <laughs> Congratulations. It was a pleasure to host it. So, I hope you, you are having an amazing interview. Oh, yeah. Thank you, Nia. All right, Justin. So, before we wrap up, do you have any asks for the audience? I would just say go download the app. The Real Life English app, if you haven't already. So you can listen to this interview on there with transcripts, the digital transcript, and with all the definitions. We've been talking a lot about a lot of words, a lot of words, definitions, expressions, and it's all in the app. You can go on there and check that out. And at the click of a button, you can connect with somebody from around the world and have a life-changing conversation with somebody. Awesome. So if you're listening to this on any normal podcast player, then you should have the app linked right in the description. You can go download it. You can look for it also in the Google Play Store or the Apple App Store. Just search for Real Life English or go to reallifeglobal.com slash app. And maybe you'll bump into one of us there. We can have a conversation. So Justin, thanks so much for joining me today. It's been a pleasure. I've definitely gotten to know you a little bit better. And I hope that the audience has also gotten some gems of knowledge. I'm sure they have in fact, whether it's starting to meditate or journal or thinking more about how they can be more passionate or goal-oriented, creating a plan, starting with end in mind. There's just been tons of tons of gems of wisdom here. Well, the pleasure's mine. It's been great to share this with you, Ethan, and with all of you listeners out there. You guys are amazing. You guys are the inspiration for everything we do and looking forward to keep on going. Oh, yeah. Thanks so much for joining me today. I hope you enjoyed the interview. You can find all the mentioned links and resources from this show on the show notes at reallifeglobal.com. It is also linked in the description of this episode. If English fluency is important to you, then remember to check out our Real Life app, where you can practice listening to native speech and speak with other learners from around the world, while also discovering new cultures. In addition to that, you can get a full interactive transcript and vocabulary for this interview. You will find that linked in the description or just search for Real Life English in the Apple App Store or Google Play Store. For now, remember that no matter what divides us, that which unites us is far greater. See you on the next show.